This is the last day of uh, group practice, Sunday, July 26th. What does that perception bring to the mind, the last day? Ideas of what will happen tomorrow, the things I've got to do things I'm interested in, things I'm worried about, helping, fearing, planning. The last day of a formal retreat period is always a good time to explore that habit of becoming, the bhavatana, the, the way the mind likes to lean into the imagined next moment. Tomorrow, the day after, what's coming, how, how it will be. For most people, it's natural for these kind of perceptions, thoughts to arise. So the last formal day of a retreat is the ideal opportunity to look directly, to receive that feeling, to know it. The bhavatanha urge. To put it into context, or to make that easier to feel, to know, it's extremely helpful to contemplate death. The mind creates images of tomorrow, this week, next week, what I've got to do, the different classes, sessions, retreats, activities, responsibilities. But if today is the day we die, if our life comes to an end today, what does that say about tomorrow? If our life comes to an end today, our tomorrow is going to be very, very different, not something that we can plan know about, even imagine. I like to reflect often that the, the Buddha said the, the lifespan that we can reasonably look forward to is the time it takes to go from the beginning to the end of an in-breath or the beginning to the end of an out-breath. The time it takes to swallow a mouthful of food that has already been chewed. This is three or four seconds. If an aneurysm hits, if a blood vessel bursts in your brain, that's what you've got, about three or four seconds before everything goes dark and the life comes to an end. Out goes the light. Then what? So to our ego, to the habits of self-view, this is really threatening. Don't say that. But if we take that contemplation seriously, and this is what the Buddha encourages strongly, deeply, encourages us to do, notice how it puts everything else into a context. If there's only three or four seconds left to live, there's no time to apologize for any wrong that we've done. No time to 
pass on a message, no time to plan anything for the future. What's the point of carrying a grudge around? What's the point of carrying around a plan, an opinion? What does it matter if we've only got three or four seconds left to play with? Feeling responsible and worried about something that you have to do? Three or four seconds, it's a non-issue. Feeling resentful, annoyed about some decision being made that we didn't like, didn't approve of? What does it matter? Not to your issue anymore if this life comes to an end. You're no longer in the mix. This kind of reflection puts into a context, puts into perspective all of the loves and hates, plans, memories, fears, regrets, things we're proud of, the things we're embarrassed about. Puts it all into a context. It helps it all to be recognized as empty, as just such. A memory is just this way. A regret is just this way. That nostalgic glow is just this way. That anxiety about the future is this way. That wish that you were seen different from the way that you are seen is just this way. The pride that you feel about being who you are, having the qualities that you have, is just like this. It's just such, tata. It's this way, that's all. Changing the view of our so-called life, our story, who we are, the positive, the negative, the functional, the neutral. This is what the Buddha calls cessation of identity, sakaya nirodha. Letting go of the story, letting go of our memories, our plans, all our identities, identifications. What a beautiful unburdening that is. To the habits of self-view and conceit, death is a disaster. The ending is a disaster. Losing. I'm losing. I don't want to lose what I've got. But what this kind of reflection puts into perspective is those are just the habits of self-view, ego-centered thinking. To the heart itself, there's a delight, a relief. As Lumpucha put it, a samana is one who has no future. The heart that is the attuned to that samana sanya, the, the quality of the renunciate, it recognizes there isn't any future and there never was one anyway. To the ego, the, the words asamana is one who has no future is a threat, a challenge, a danger, there's a loss. But the heart, which is the heart of the samana, that heart of Dhamma itself, what's there to lose? What could be lost? What could be owned? It's not a matter of things or being a person, it's not a matter of having or losing. 
How could the Dhamma lose anything? How could it get anything? It is this integrative principle that is the very heart of what we are, the basis of this reality. That upholding principle, the ordering principle of all things, physical, mental, spiritual, visible, invisible, the integrative principle of all things. During today, I encourage this kind of reflection. If I've only got three or four seconds to live, what does this plan matter? What does this regret matter? What does this grudge matter? What does this achievement matter? Let go. And in that letting go, to see what a difference that makes. How the heart changes. When the Buddha had the dialogue with the Deva Rohitasa, Rohitasa had been a, a yogi in the life as a human being and had tried to get to the end of the world, but said to the Buddha, when I was a human being in my last lifetime, I tried to journey to the end of the world, but no matter how far I went, I couldn't reach the world's end. And the Buddha said to Rohitasa, you cannot reach the end of the world by walking, but I tell you, Unless you reach the end of the world, you won't reach the end of suffering, of dukkha. This is one of those beautiful, potent dialogues that the Buddha engaged in. And he went on to explain, it's in this very body, with its perceptions and its thoughts, there is the world, the origin of the world, the cessation of the world, and the way leading to the cessation of the world. Now again, to, from the uh, perspective of the ego, self-view, the end of the world seems like a disaster, ecological collapse, heat death at the end of the universe. Horrible, terrible. Deeply undesirable. But the Buddha's talking about it as something beautiful, praiseworthy, noble. The end of the world. So to the ego, once again, it's threatening, but to the heart itself, there's a quality of, of relief, of ease, liberation. And in the explanation of this sutta, and this teaching is spelled out, defining what is the nature of the world, the Buddha said, that whereby one is a perceiver of the world, loka sanyi, and a conceiver of the world, lokamani. That is called the world in this Dhamma and discipline. That whereby one is a perceiver of the world and a conceiver of the world, that is called the world. And what is it whereby one is a perceiver and a conceiver of the world? The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind. That is what we call the world in this Dhamma and discipline. So the world is the world of these perceptions. Seeing, hearing, smelling, 
tasting, touching, thinking. And where does the world end? What is it that knows the flow of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching? Where does this sound end? The feelings of the body, where do they end? They end here in this quality of awareness, in this this vijadhatu, the knowing element of the heart. Or what's called the, the panya chaku, the eye of wisdom. That's what receives sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. It ends here in this quality of awareness, this knowing. This is where the world ends. It's received here, known here. It stops right here. And it stops because it's that very eye of wisdom that sees its empty nature. The whole field of perception, thought, emotion, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, is recognized as sunya, empty, tata, such, just this way. Its insubstantiality, its suchness, is known in this very heart, this very awareness. That's where its thingness ends, its substantiality comes to an end, illuminated by that quality of wisdom, known fully, apprehended fully, seen fully, completely. So the ending of the world is far from a disaster. It's joyful, liberating, freeing. That which knows anger isn't angry. That which knows sensation isn't a sensation. That which knows thought isn't a thought. non-material, infinitely spacious, completely non-personal. We can use terms like I know, or I think, or I feel, or my mind. But all those I's and me's and mine's, these are conventional fictions, convenient fictions. The quality of awareness, of knowing, is not personal. Like we don't say, my gravity, or my sky. Ridiculous. Crazy. Gravity is felt here in this life, in this body, in this field of perception, but it's not mine, it's not a person, it's not an individual, but it's felt right here. Its activity is known, realized right here. Similarly, this quality of knowing, it's non-personal, it's not female or male, not old or young, not healthy or sick. It doesn't have an age, a shape, a location. Place doesn't apply. Time doesn't apply. Identity doesn't apply. Just like my gravity doesn't stop here and your gravity begins over there. Ridiculous. Place doesn't apply.
And when the Buddha made this statement, unless you get to the end of the world, you won't get to the end of suffering. That boils down to the encouragement, be awake. Be that awake, aware, knowing heart that receives all things, attunes to all things, and is unburdened by all things. This is the ending of becoming, where the, the attention locks on to time, 8, 47, and 9 seconds, 10, 11, 12 seconds, 13 seconds. Attention locks onto time, onto individuality, my body, my feelings, my thoughts, my story. It's all the world of becoming. The sitting, the walking, the meal, day and night, the calendar. It's the world of becoming. The cessation of becoming, Bhava Niroda, is not tearing up the calendar or the body disappearing into a, a, a rainbow, a, a puff of smoke. It's not the death of the body or freezing in your footsteps, just stopping the condition that has started. No, it's rather the cessation of becoming is changing the point of view, shifting the view, the attitude. Bhavani rodo nibbanang. Nibbana is the cessation of becoming. It's the letting go of identification with the changing conditions. When the knowing heart no longer identifies with time, with identity, with personality, with location, it's free. And the, the felt sense of that is peace, Nibbana. Nothing is being lost, it's just the mind is no longer attaching to what it is not. We're not losing the conditions that we think we have, rather it's recognizing they were never owned. This body, this personality, these feelings, these thoughts, these memories, these ideas, they were never who and what we are from in the first place. So it's not really a letting go, rather it's a, in its essence, it's a realization of non-ownership. And that realization has the quality of peace, simplicity, spaciousness. The cessation of becoming is Nibbāna. So that cessation is not the stopping of a thing that has started, but realizing there were never really any things. There was never a subject or an object that was solid, permanent, was never born. The Dhamma is all that's ever been here, unborn, unconditioned, uncreated, unformed. That's why liberation is possible. The Dhamma is the only reality 
that's really ever been present. All of the rest, the, the world of appearances, the explicate order, the world of form and conditioned patterns, perceptions, that's only ever been the realm of appearances. The underlying essence, the ground, the Dhamma, has always been the only genuine reality. And the final day of a retreat like this is an ideal opportunity to realize that timeless, unlocated, non-personal, that quality that underlies, that is the integrative principle of all things. To know that the mind is Dhamma, it's not a person. This can be realized, this can be known. Being Dhamma.